Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Brown, and this week I am joined by the sports editor of The Independent, Ben Burrows, star columnist Tony Evans and European football extraordinaire Jack Rathbone. Uh, the plan this week was originally to continue last week's discussion about super clubs and the super wealthy and whether local clubs can survive in such an environment. Uh, we had some really lovely feedback to that show. We are going to do a part two, but we're going to do it next week, um, partially because Miguel is on the road. He's in Munich for an interview uh, and partially because it is, of course, the transfer deadline on Friday and we thought we should do a bit of a January window wrap. OK, Ben, should we start with uh, Manchester United? We're now, we're now expecting them to complete the signature of Bruno Fernandes from Sporting Lisbon. If they sign him and him alone, will it have been a good window? I think it's, a good, I think it's an interesting signing, certainly one that will excite the fans, not the ones who were outside Edward Wood's house yesterday. Um, but, I mean, Man United aren't in a situation where one player is going to fix them. That said, and as we've, all, as we've also said in this studio many times, Good teams don't tend to buy lots of players in January. That said, he is an exciting player and they do need bodies in the middle of that pitch. He's been searching for creativity, something different. With McTominay out and Pogba in particular out, they have struggled for that. I think Fernandez. I'm not going to pretend to have seen him as much as Sam, but he pretends to be someone who's going to bring goals and assists, which is something they're crying out for. He's an excellent player. They're certainly not one player away. But if you are going to sign one player in the in the window, then it seems like a pretty good one. The thing is, Tony, even if they do complete his signature, it will, will excite the fans, obviously. But even if he arrives, there's going to be it's going to be slightly underwhelming, isn't it? Because they could have got him last summer. They could have got him at the start of the month for the price that Lisbon set originally. Yeah. They waited and waited and waited, and now they're kind of holding it up as like there's oh there's been this huge breakthrough in talks, and we're going to going to get our man. But they're just going to pay the price that was originally set. Well, exactly. That's the funny thing about it. You know, in the, in the summer they probably could have picked him up for what nearly twenty million less, and it doesn't speak to a strategy. And uh, I think that's the big issue with United. There's no sign of any coherent thinking there. Um, he looks like a good signing. And as Ben said, in an area of the pitch where they're desperate for people, and they're desperate for a bit of creativity and a bit of uh, vitality, which he'll give them. Um, but to to see it as a coup, when basically is how much do you want uh, this much? Oh, we're not paying that. All right, we'll pay it. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's classic Edwards Woods, Woods who I just can I just say before we go any further, fire and flares at Edwards Edwards Woods house. Come on, people, it's only football, and not only that. Remember the whole anti-glazer thing, the green and gold until it's sold, which turns out to be green and gold until we start winning things, and now it's all turned again and it's got nasty. People, get a grip. Do we really think that Fernandez signing is going to kind of ease any of those tensions? Or do you think, obviously, after the events we saw last night where, as was mentioned, Ed Woodward's house was attacked by, by supporters or thugs or whatever you want to call them, have we kind of reached the point of no return, do you feel? I think it will ease the tension somewhat. 
mainly because it was edging towards hysteria and complete chaos in the sense that everybody can recognise Manchester United are in, in deep trouble and to be seen to not do anything, even though, as Ben said, to do business right now is maybe not the smartest thing to do if you're a, a proper club with a with a plan. But I think Fernandez has enough upside to be seen as a real positive and somebody that has the potential to become a key player for Manchester United. But it's a risk because he's not proven in one of the biggest leagues in Europe. We've seen him in Italy before less productive than he was in, in Portugal, um, sporting a very specific side that hand him a lot of responsibility. Manchester United won't do that, so can he adapt his game? Um, I'm not too sure. So it's going to be a real fascinating signing to, to see how he develops. Well, well, that's the thing. Can he cope with the physicality of uh, the Premier League? We know a lot of players struggle with it. So we mightn't even see much production from him in terms of... Uh, you know, impact on games until next season. So, and people won't give him the opportunity because it's Man United because they're in such a mess. You know, he's not going to get a settling in period like, for example, Minamino at Anfield. Mm. Um, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. And it's a big ask to come mid-season from the Portuguese league mm. into the Premier League. And the weather conditions, the living conditions, the, um, as I say, the physicality, He's got a lot to take on, and it takes some player to come and have an immediate impact in the team in that situation. Well, I guess the other thing is that it's sort of a again not to go down the same road as we as many tend to, but it's another test of Solskjaer's coaching abilities because he's going to have to parachute this guy in. He's clearly got lots of natural ability and he's played very well, as Jack said, in a specific system which sort of they play to his strengths does Solskjaer have the wherewithal to sort of make Man United play to his strengths as well? Because he's obviously got lots of talented players. But, I mean, there's there's every chance that if he comes in and and delivers on the promise he's shown, he's already going to be one of Man United's best players mm. straight away. So why wouldn't you try and sort of build around that player, particularly with Rashford not around until maybe the summer? It's, it's going to be interesting to see how Solskjaer sort of balances the idea of easing this guy in, which is what he should be doing, because it is going to be a difficult transition. But also, you need to sort of make it as easy as possible for him to play a lot, because you need him. Well, that's the other problem with the uh, transfer strategy, isn't it? The fact that United have waited and waited and waited means that the expectation level on Fernandes now is just huge. And he's going to be expected to come in and, and immediately transform this team in a league that he's not comfortable in and, and, and has no experience in. Yeah, it's tricky. Um I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a problem. It's a it's a problem. I'm sure Solskjaer would say he'd like to have. He's been clearly itching to get extra bodies in and new new faces and new ideas. Um, it is a lot of pressure on a player who, yeah, he's well, I think 25, so he's probably slightly older than you expect. So he's maybe more of a ready-made um, product than some you might have bought it before. But yeah, it's a it's a big challenge. Again, the, the comparison with Liverpool and Minamino, you know, you get at the beginning of the window and then you've got the FA Cup and, I mean, you know, for all the arguments about the FA Cup and Klopp, it does give you a chance to play players in a situation where there's a little bit less pressure than the Premier League, you know. You know so would he, he would have had a chance to get a couple of games under his belt and, you know, you, you get a sense of the direction that he was going in. Um and this is just leaving it to the last minute. He'll come in and probably be thrown in at the deep end. I think he's going to miss, like you said, some really good opportunities to experiment with his game against weaker opposition. Um, this is a player that completes, on average, this season 77% of his passes, which is 
extraordinarily low for such a, a, a top-class player who has a lot of production. He scored 63 goals and 52 assists in his time at Sporting, which has is, is come out of nowhere compared to what he did at Sampdoria and Udinese in Syria. So I think he, he would have needed those opportunities against weaker opposition where those sort of passes, um, he obviously shoots a, a great deal as well to, to, to score that many goals. So to do that in, in high-risk games where they, they can't afford to make any mistakes to make up the ground on the top four, I think that could really um, hurt his his um, his impact in the immediate, immediacy yeah. of uh, the move. So I think he is going to be a really fascinating uh, project for Solskjaer and I think it could go one or two ways. What do we think his arrival means for Paul Pogba? I would say that, I mean, you speak to people around the club and those in the know, I don't think this signing in particular will change the long-term out the sort of outlook for Pogba, which is he's going to leave. Um, it seems like that's what his people, who Solskjaer blamed for the various things so far, that's what they want him to do. The noise is coming out of Pogba himself. That's what he wants to do. Um, it sort of makes the, from a uh, PR point of view, it makes it slightly easier to sell him probably in the summer because mm. you can say, well, we've already got this guy who maybe finishes the season strong. Obviously, they hope he does. Um, it makes it easier to go and be bring in your replacement for a player before you sell the new one. That's what a, a sensible, well-run football club does. So that makes sense. Um, I do think you could play them both together. There's no reason why not. Pogba, for the various things that go around him and the t- particularly the the overt criticisms of him, he's a phenomenal footballer. And I think you can you can play in multiple roles. And there's no reason why you couldn't have Pogba and Fernandez together. And certainly. Over the last three, four, five years, they've not had a midfield as good as that. So it's it's exciting if they can make it work. I don't think it's a long-term proposition. I, I mean, Pogba and United should be made for each other. You know, massive, massive club, one of the best players in the world. You know, certainly in the top ten or fifteen. Uh, he's he's made for the Premier League, isn't he? Physically. You know, he's got the power, he's got the pace, and yet they've allowed this to happen. And there's blame on both sides. But a club like United, especially when they've made a signing like this, you know, maybe you'd want to think, well, okay, what could the possibilities be if we could get these two fellas working together? And it probably bridges have been burnt there, so it's not going to happen. But it's just another sign of the chaos. If you you let strikers like Luke Erku go, you're letting a midfielder like Pogba go, what does that say about the way your club's running? Because these are the fellas that you should want in your team. Bit off topic, but where on earth would Pogba go? I mean, surely he can't go back to Juventus. Yeah, Double I think it's, um, the options have, have narrowed and I think that's why potentially his people are looking to sort of ease any tension that has manifested over the last year. Mm. Um Outside of like the obvious, he clearly would have loved to have gone to Real Madrid or, or I don't think Barcelona quite have the budget to, to spend so lavishly on a, a midfielder that might not suit their, their style of play. Certainly not now they've hired Setien. I think Paris Saint-Germain would, would jump at the chance to acquire such a key figure for the French national team. So mm. maybe that would be the, the obvious mm. fit and something they would do in a similar way to the, the Neymar move that... The opportunity is there. We can't afford not to take it, even though he may not be the the exact type of player that would would add to Tuchel's um, system at the moment. And Real Madrid as well, mm-hmm. always an option. You know, it's uh, I mean the way things are going there, they're going to need to strengthen in the summer. And he's long been linked with them, and we know about you know how Zidane feels about him. So 
I think that could be an option. Juventus would probably take him back. I think they they love him there, and yeah. uh, Rabio hasn't quite panned out for them. And yeah, they're still relying on Matuidi, who is not getting any younger. So maybe they would look to sort of be creative in some way to mm. to bring him back to Turin. Yeah. yeah, there's probably three or four destinations he could go to. But you know, it is a very narrow field. <laughs> okay, so Bruno, Bruno Fernandez is coming in. Uh, Paul Pogba could be leaving and Alexis Sanchez could be coming back. Uh, <laughs> let's hear what Oli Gunnar Solskjaer had to say about his uh, impending return. Well, we've got players here that we're uh, working hard to get back as well. And if there is something out there, then uh, uh, the club uh, are pursuing that uh, and looking at it. And of course... It is difficult. It's the difficult window has always been. Uh, I can't remember how many goodens we've brought in in uh, good deals that we brought in in, in January. You know, Henrik was good. Nemanja and Patrice, they were two two good ones. Henrik was alone. Sanchez. I'm talking. Uh, I'm talking about. It's hard. It's very hard because some of the the clubs don't want to. Uh, lose their best players so um, Alexis will come back in in the summer and prove prove you all wrong Okay, so that's what Solskjaer had to say Ben uh, do you think Sanchez can make any kind of impact I think the most interesting thing about what Solskjaer said in his press conference on Tuesday is that if he's going to prove everybody wrong then why do you loan him out in the first place Mm. which is given the sort of comparative paucity resources you have already I wouldn't rule Sanchez out I think he is a symptom away he's that's the wrong word he's the he's the outcome of what we've talked about a lot over in recent weeks in just the sheer volume of football like modern football broke Alexis Sanchez and obviously we could do an entire podcast on him alone I think I don't think he is again going to come back and change everything for Manchester United he wasn't playing especially well for Inter when he got injured anyway um I don't think he's the answer necessarily. I think they probably could do with a few more good players. So like maybe he falls into that category. But yeah, I don't see Sanchez as being the answer necessarily. He's a strange character and um, a loner. So he, you know, he doesn't give any sense of. He doesn't contribute to the team particularly, and and that that was clear from what the people around Arsenal tell you. Um, you know, he gives the illusion of being a player who has a huge impact on games, but he shoots from daft positions through crowds of players. He's selfish. He, um, you know, he he doesn't. He hasn't managed to translate his ability into being a dominant player, certainly not in the Premier League. And a lot of the stuff he did at Arsenal was people projecting what they wanted to see on him rather than his actual impact. He had more impact than Ezel, but you know what I mean? Let's face it, I probably I would have. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I don't see him working out at United. But again, if you want to sell him on, you've got to give the illusion that you want him. OK, let's move on to uh, Tottenham. They've been one of the busiest clubs in the uh, January transfer window. Christian Eriksen has, of course, gone to Inter Milan. Carl Walker-Peters is going to go out on loan. And they've brought in Gedson Fernandes, St- Steven Bergwijn and Giovanni Lo Celso on a permanent deal. Uh, Tony, are you impressed with all of that business? Not really. Um, you know, uh, I think the business that Tottenham needed to do was probably two windows ago, three mm. windows ago, when they needed to strengthen. And this will not lift them significantly uh, enough now. Um, you know, I think 
the the two players that have come in effectively, Fernandez and, and Bergvine, are, um, will should improve them. But I think they've got issues in numerous departments, and um, I think it'll take more than one window to fix this, and it'll take more than one summer window. It's similar to uh, what you were saying about United. I mean, with a player like Lacelso, they waited and waited, brought him in right at the end of the summer, and you think if he'd have had a full pre-season under Pochettino and had been ready to start the season, how different could things be now? Yeah, and you know, he, he picked up that injury early on. Was there a function of him not training mm. at the the level he needed to be to play in the Premier League? And and Tottenham do this repeatedly. We've talked about it before. You know, they, they, they leave things to the last minute and then we wonder why the players don't integrate quickly enough and they don't win things. I mean, it may sound ridiculous, it's something we've mentioned in the office that like Lacelso is probably Tottenham's player of the season. And that's yeah. that says a bit about him and probably a lot more about Tottenham itself. But he looks like a, a great player. Um and obviously we'll move on to Ericsson, but he's sort of of all the figures um, they're bringing in in this window. He seems to be the guy who's going to try and they're going to try and use to sort of fill all of the things that Ericsson did. You sort of you gain a bit from Bergvine, his sort of directness and his goal threat, and get get some Fernandez will give you a bit of his box to box sort of work rate. Lacelso has got both of those things as well as the passing range and the sort of the vision and that like really nice left foot that just fits and sort of knits a whole midfield together. Um, he does look a good player. I think I think Levy should be given credit. Well, he's obviously under a lot of flack a lot of the time. And he should be given credit for getting the deal over the line at some point. Um, I think you're absolutely right in that it should have been done a lot earlier. Given that, again, he's another one, like we said with Manchester United, where that the fee they were wanting for him was the fee they were always going to ask for him all the way through the summer. And the haggling didn't really affect anything. He still bought him for the same figure. So The Spurs player of the season question is actually a lot of fun because... Genuinely, who would it be? Lacelso, Tanganga, who's played what, like four games. Mm. Lamella was in the mix, and yet the club wanted to get Son, rid of him. Son's, Son's the best player, and he keeps getting he sent, sent off. off. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's again, it sort of says quite a lot about the the overall state of play um, at Tottenham that you sort of can't really pick out one player. Even Man United, for all of their faults, you'd say Rashford's had an outstanding season individually. Mm. Um, there's no one who's at Tottenham who's had that sort of period where they've they've stitched five, six, seven, eight games together and had a proper run. Um, there's been players like Serge Aurier who's had like three or four maybe in a row or Sissoko maybe at times. Oh, but I'm not an Aurier truther in any way. There's the kind of... Yeah, I don't see that. The either. Aurier campaign has started, but I'm, I'm not... I'm I not think Lasalle also has the potential to sort of... If he stays fit, which is a tricky one given his sort of stop-start pre-season, I think he has the ability to sort of take that on and maybe be the starring player in Kane's absence. Well, well, one of the, the, that's what I was about to say, Harry Kane, you know, we're still, you know, talking about who's going to replace Harry Kane. You know, how many years are we going to go through this? I mean, we've had half a decade of it now and there's been no answers to it. And, now, you know, there's sort of, there's talk this morning about Giroud. I mean, <laughs> really? And, yeah, actually, I... I'm, I'm quite an admirer as you you know, he puts in a shift. I think he's quite good for Spurs. I mean, he's better than Lorenzo, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, you know, and he, he you know, he, he knows the the league. He's he, he'd be effective. He'd give them, he'd give them a, a sort of pivot to knock the ball to and get the midfielders coming mm. on and to get on the end of it. You can, well, yeah, you can Spurs' see. best players now are those behind the number nine. So yeah. you need someone who can sort of get the best out of those. You saw last season, Giroud played mostly in the Europa League, but the best the best he did play was when he was bouncing balls off to Hazard 
Hazard. Yeah. And he's sort of, I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone, even a Tottenham fan would say they have anyone on Hazard's level, but playing that way, I think, would suit them. You bring the likes of Ali and Son uh, and Sessegnon and Bergvine potentially into the game more with a, with a number nine who can actually hold the ball. That would be yeah, quite and good. He ties up central defenders, and, you know, you, so the runners will get space. Of course, Liverpool about as much trouble as any strike of a season in the Super Cup. Um, mm. The way he was bringing in the runners in in that game, even though mm. Chelsea eventually lost. So, yeah, I think he's he's a striker that Lampard probably should have kept on side because. Yeah. He, he is the plan B that Chelsea lack right now and he could be Spurs' plan B even when Harry Kane So do we think Spurs back? need a striker? That's what I'm going to get oh from God. this. But I mean, for, uh, for decades, how long is it going to go on? The thing is, you're not, it's, it's such a difficult... How are you going to entice a kind of top-level striker to basically Harry Kane's understudy? I suppose that's the argument with somebody like Pieter, the AC Milan striker, because you can tell him, look, Kane's out for the rest of the season, come in, you've got a clean run in it, and if it doesn't work out, go back to Italy. Yeah, it's difficult, but you know, I mean, if you pay the right level of wages, which notoriously Tottenham don't, you know, you can bring people in and you can use them in slightly different roles. You know, you, you could play, you know, you could play essentially a front three and have your second striker operating up there with Kane. And you know, it's. I think, I think Tottenham have certainly got um, a problem that many clubs have. If you look back in. 10, 15 years ago, there'd be a player like Louis Saha at Fulham, who Man United snapped up for 12, 15 million, whatever it was back then. You look at 10 years ago, it was Denver Bar going to Chelsea for 7 million because he had a release clause, or Nicholas and Elka going there for 12, 15 million after he'd scored a shed load of goals for Bolton before Christmas. It did, because of the influx of money in the league now, all these, something we've touched on before, but Teams don't need to sell their players. So you sort of look around the league now and the sort of equivalent of those players is someone like Timu Puki or a Callum Wilson, perhaps. But they are well, worth... How much would Callum Wilson cost you now? Well, exactly. They're worth far more to Bournemouth than, than any money that you could offer them in this window. So in time gone past, you would maybe, yeah, Chelsea would be, would be perfect for Callum Wilson. Go and get a player and you can play instead of Tammy when you need him to or can come off the bench and he'll get you a goal. But why would Bournemouth sell him for anything south of sixty million when their their one hundred and fifty million Premier League life is on the line? They wouldn't do it. Final question on Spurs: This Tottenham squad is starting to look, you know, much more a squad in the uh, Jose Mourinho mould. Rafa, is he now essentially running out of excuses? If Spurs don't pick up, is he going to get a lot more criticism? I don't think he's he's out of excuses or time. I think he will be given the start of next season to see whether he he can fully transform his side. But I think there is a sign that once Kane comes back, there are enough pieces where he can change the uh, the DNA of his team, so to speak. So I think a lot will depend on the manner of the tie against uh, Leipzig. I think mm. not just like the result. I think they, Spurs are certainly capable of going through, but I think they're probably underdogs in that tie. But I think it'll be how this team fights and how they transform that experience from last year under Pochettino, some of those players to see whether Mourinho can can take this side and and keep them at that level like maintain that hunger and and sprinkle in these these new additions and make sure that he develops the the likes of Lacelso so yeah i think um not just yet but i think he he will be hoping to to see signs that next season is like he did in in his last spell at Chelsea where he took them up like a big level so He's he's going to target the cup, isn't he? and he um, and he's he's going to win the FA Cup, and they're going to build a statue to him at White Hart Lane, <laughs> and he'll he'll you know he'll be there till he wants to leave. That's the way it's going to happen. He'll do what he did at United in the first year. But Tottenham's a different club to United. 
Okay, time for a quick break. Do not go anywhere, as when we get back, we're going to be taking a closer look at Chelsea and what they have done this window, as well as casting our eye around the rest of the Premier League and Europe. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome back to our special January transfer window indie football podcast. Let's move on to talking a little bit about Chelsea, who we haven't really discussed all that much on the show in recent weeks. Uh, We were expecting them to be fairly active this month, given that their transfer ban had just been torn up by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, and yet they've been reasonably quiet. Jack, are you surprised by that? Yeah, I'm I'm relatively surprised just because they made such a a thing of um, campaigning against the initial ban and uh, fighting it, and obviously Lampard has made it very clear that he's long since made... Um, warning signs about certain areas of the squad and I think he deserves to be repaid for how he's obviously saved the club a lot of money in the long term by bringing on these young players but yeah I think the the, the right sort of players at the right money are just not there at the moment for Chelsea so I think it is a tricky situation for the club. I suppose they've got a similar problem to Spurs haven't they in that they, they need, a, need a striker really. Well, they do, uh, but I think the problems are deeper. I mean, you know, Abramovich isn't pumping the money in the way he used to. And even before the transfer ban was up, there was word coming out of Stamford Bridge that, you know, don't expect a spending spree. You know, they just because the um, the ban was lifted, they weren't going to go crazy. And I think... They, they might have spent more had the season not gone so well. Mm. I mean, they've done better than everyone expected. And it looks as if, from this standpoint, they'll qualify for the Champions League, perhaps not relatively easily, but, you know, they, they should be OK. And so there's a recognition, one, that the money's not there, two, that there's no value around, and, as you say, three, that the players that would suit the way they want to play are particularly available probably the last time they really stunned everybody in the transfer market is when they went out and spent a world record amount on Kepa in goal he struggled this season can you envisage Ben him potentially being moved on in the summer sort of the noises you're hearing out of it out of Stamford Bridge suggest that maybe they aren't quite as it's not quite what you thought it would be there's I know there was a bit of a um, difference of opinion with the goalkeeping coaching there as well, which is quite interesting that Lampard wanted a certain guy to coach them and they want someone else instead. They're obviously looking for an answer there to try and get more out of this player who they spent an awful amount, amount of money on. He's clearly a very talented goalkeeper. Um, he was obviously bought for his abilities, perhaps with his feet more than with his hands. but And he's key to the way they play. But, I mean, the, 
if you look to last week against Arsenal, it was two shots on goal and two mm. two goals, and he could have done. You could reasonably expect him to have done better with both of them. I think it's it's a high pressure position. If you look, if there's a bit of similarity with how De Gea sort of when he came into Manchester United, and he's a young keeper from Spain who maybe wasn't isn't physically that dominant, but is a good shot stopper at and but needs a bit of time to develop. It would I think it would be it would be early to sort of cut bait and say oh and it's 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 a it was a bad signing we need to get rid. I think you, you need to give a, a keeper of his age a bit more time. He was obviously highly rated for a reason, but. It has been tricky. I think that if it was my money, I think I'd try and go and get some proper, healthy competition for him. I think Willie Caballero's thirty-eight now. I don't. He he was never going to be the the the, the suggestions are. I'll be given every chance to take the number one jersey. And there's, there's no chance they'll do that before the end of the season. You'd think I would. I would spend a decent amount of money on someone who can actually challenge for that role, and maybe it means you sort of get better in training every day, and you maybe get a bit more out of. A, a colossal investment because right now I don't think anyone could argue that they're getting value for money now. Nick Pope has obviously been the man kind of linked to Chelsea but what's quite interesting about that is his set of skills is almost the exact opposite to Kepa in that he's a very good shot stopper and yet he's not as good with his feet unlike Kepa so can you see him fitting in Rafa? I th- yeah I think not. I think Lampard will want a very specific skill set and I think certainly with the ball he's helped Chelsea build up their attacks with quick quick passing, quick movement, and they have been able to sort of slalom their way up the pitch um, in quite a nice, eye-pleasing fashion. But I think Nick Pope maybe would prevent Lampard from getting the most out of what he wants. I think the idea that Kepper is... He is at fault for a lot of the goals, but I think he's certainly being exposed by this defence, and I think that hasn't helped. I think it's they're not helping each other. So mm. you look back to Courtois, not as good with his feet, but certainly he complemented the defence a lot more at his best because he would come and get crosses. He would relieve the pressure. Chelsea don't finish games off, right? So you got one goal leads in deep into games and without a goalkeeper like Courtois to come and get crosses, certainly Kepa is just inviting pressure mm. on Chelsea uh, in those closing stages of the game. And that's why they're conceding so many late goals. So I think it's it's going to be a case of you could fix the issue by bringing in a, a much superior centre-back. It's never going to be the same as Van Dijk at Liverpool because he's an elite, top, top-class centre-back. But if you get something maybe just shy of that, then maybe it raises the level and the, provides a better shield in front of him. And then that way he's less exposed and he can concentrate on what he has been doing quite well and that's sort of uh, starting these moves. I, I agree with Jack. I think it's also twofold. I think you know they need to look at the coaching because often, uh, you know, the, the thing about Kepa, his feet are in the wrong position when the shots are coming in, and you'd think that someone at this level that can be helped and coached out of him. But you know, it's uh, you know, and they, it, and he's too easy to chip as well. It's, I mean, Jack's right. I think the thing with goalkeepers at the level that Kepa's playing at. You don't need them to be able to make 10 saves in the game, which is what, I mean, Burnley have got a fairly good defence, but that's what Burnley are asking Nick Pope to do, is yeah. make 10 saves a game to get you a point or three. You don't need that at Chelsea. You need him to make one. And if he can't make one, then he's not good enough. And it's exactly what Alisson is. He's, he's an excellent goalkeeper who will have to make one save a game. And 99 times out of 100 of late, he makes it. It's exactly what the same with with Edison. He's the, he doesn't get asked to make do a lot. But when he does, he excels. It's what Bravo couldn't do, famously. They faced the same amount of shots. Yeah, it's a different mentality, isn't it's it? It's a different mentality. It's a different kind of goalkeeper. Like, 
Bravo used to face three shots a game for City and he conceded all three in his curtains. <laughs> Whereas it's a different kind of goalkeeper you need. So he's almost shopping in a different market, really. I'm not sure that, yeah, that Nick, Nick Pope, like he's obviously a talented goalkeeper, he might end up being England's number one at the, at the Euros. But I wouldn't necessarily say, like we've said, I think, don't think he's the fit is quite right for that. The thing is, replacing Kepa and signing a new centre-back, which it seems to be kind of agreed that they need, and then replacing older players that they spent a lot of money on, such as Willian and, and Pedro, it's going to cost an awful lot of money. Tony, can you see Roman Abramovich basically returning to the strategy that made Chelsea successful and spending that sort of money? Or do you think this kind of newly frugal policy is, is here to stay for the time being? Yeah, I think this is the way it is. And I wouldn't expect him to open the checkbook and go mad. I think those days have gone. Mm. OK, and Rafa, can you see any talented younger players to kind of come through and maybe, maybe atone for that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen plenty this season who have featured... Quite, quite heavily in the side but I think you look um, a little deeper somebody like Billy Gilmore looks mm. really impressive he's already sort of um, knocking on the door very tidy midfielder can pass through the lines um, keeps it simple which I think is exactly what Lampard wants um, you've seen um, Lamptey who's sort of put a little bit of pressure on Reese James coming in at right back he's probably going to leave um, outside of that you've got Matson, the, the left back he's also handy and can come in when when needed, maybe if they move on Alonso next summer. But I think the one that's sort of creating waves in the, the youth team as such is uh, Angerin. You know, Angerin, a box-to-box midfielder, like blessed physically, can um, can carry it, can pass it. I think he will, he'll be an outstanding player and I think he'll be the next one that sort of Lampard tries to bring through. If not, maybe somebody who's already out on loan at the club, mm. um, Conor Gallagher. Absolutely brilliant for Charlton and now is already seemingly settling in at Swansea. So I think somebody like Gallagher next season could come in and play that 10 to 15 games a season um, for Chelsea and be that bit part player. Um, so, yeah, I'd look for maybe those two midfielders um, to, to contribute soon. I mean, the hit rate's been ridiculous, really. If you look back to sort of throw back to six months ago and you could have said that Mason Mount, Tammy, Reese James, yeah. all these players, Tamori, all these players are going to come in and basically every single one you're dropping in is performing outstanding. Like Lamptey came on against Arsenal, was brilliant, mm-hmm. and I, no one outside of Chelsea knew who he was, and he was excellent. He just seamlessly fitted in. I mean, you can't reasonably expect that that's going to keep happening. But like in Chelsea fans and the and the guys behind the scenes in their wildest dreams, you couldn't have expected that this would happen. I mean, an awful lot amount of credit goes to Joe Edwards behind the scenes there. I think who worked, who's worked with these kids all the way through the ranks and to get them to the stage where they can come into Premier League games. Um, off the back of hardly any first team football really like Tamori played last season at Derby and Mounts played last season at Derby but Hudson-Odoi's probably has barely played really senior football and he looks an unbelievable talent and Reese James is arguably the best of all of them but Yeah, who's been the best this season do you think? It seems to change with every passing week I mean, it's, it's tricky isn't it? It seems like it's changed I mean, Mount looks just a wonderful player and I think if you sort of you keep not asking him to do too much more than he's capable of. He could be phenomenal. It's so easy. To, it's the easy comparison to make, but you can see why Lampard loves him because he is a sort of mini version of him. James has been brilliant and has forced the club captain to play on the other side of defence. He's that good. Um, Tamori's the weird one, really, I think, in that every time he's played, he's been great, and yet Lampard seemingly hasn't isn't fully keen to play him all the time. He's sort of giving Christensen a bit more of a chance to play, which is interesting from the outside. He's obviously got a reason for that, and he sees them every day. But he, again, has barely put a foot wrong in everything he's done. It's been a remarkable season, really. OK, uh, to Europe, where former Chelsea manager Antonio Conte's Inter Milan 
have been the biggest wheelers and dealers. They've got their hands on Christian Eriksen, Ashley Young from Manchester United, as well as Victor Moses. And it seems like they might even uh, recruit a few more new faces before the window's end. Uh, Jack, they look pretty good, don't they? Like a, a, a deluxe MLS side at the minute. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's it's a credit to Conte that he's been able to take in these veteran players with more or less a short shelf life now. I think it's um, Inter are delighted with his work and they're, they're prepared to sacrifice the future to capitalise on this wonderful situation. To be within three points of Juventus is... It's an outstanding achievement given the short space of time he's been able to work with this interside. And I think you look at some of the the signings last summer, like Lazaro hasn't worked, but Conte's quickly identified it's not worked. I need another wing back. Mm. He's brought in Ashley Young, who's seemingly settled very quickly, set up Lautaro last week for a for a goal. And Victor Moses obviously knows the the system that Conte uses very nicely. I think they've got those functional players who can work in a system. They've also managed to get in Ericsson, who is a blue-chip player, and will, if they carry on playing Lukaku and uh, Lauter up, up top, a player like Ericsson is just going to be in dreamland in terms of the, the sort of players who can finish off um, mm. the, the chances that he will never be That's the only problem. I think, um, well, you got they've got a really good midfield. I think Sensi's um, been a bit of a revelation. You think um, Ericsson will undoubtedly start, and I think... He's also proven that he can play a little bit deeper at Spurs in recent seasons. So I think um, Conte will definitely give him like, sort of the keys to the side mm. as, as such. So, yeah, really good work from Inter this month. And he'll get more time in Serie A, won't he, on the ball? Mm-hmm. You know, when he, he'll be able to lock up and pick his passes. Do we think it's a good move for him? Because obviously when he arrived at Spurs, he, I mean, quite quickly after arriving, he always dreamt of that move to, to Barcelona initially or, or, or Real Madrid in kind of more recent years ended up at Inter Milan. Is that a significant step up for him? It is financially, but but on the pitch? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a step down from the Premier League. But I would have thought that he'll have the opportunity to, especially in the league, that's a, a little bit slower mm. and you're not being closed down so quickly to show his full range of skills. And I, I wouldn't surprise me if there's another move within the next couple of years. Something that you, Luke, wrote about today, sort of Ericsson's a really sort of... uh, It's quite a complicated legacy he leaves at Tottenham where you sort of, over the last 12 months to 18 months, it was very clear that he was wanting to leave and it was all coming to an end and he maybe didn't... He he Certainly his performances reflected that but uh, and the move he's got, at one point it was going to be Bayern or Real and they were going to be... It was going to be a bidding war to get him. He was that Mm. good into by no uh, sort of by anyone's admission aren't at that level so it sort of like seems like it's not quite ended how it was all supposed to at one point but he sort of once the dust settles I think everyone's going to remember what a phenomenal player he was for Spurs he's a he was tr- like at, what, at one point at about his peak he was one of the sort of best five, eight, ten players in the league easily mm, definitely just changing games on his own Poch knew exactly how to use him mm. and he was uh, during that peak run that they had when they very nearly win the league. Ericsson was right up there with Ali and Kane as being the reasons why they were doing that. Uh, he's a, a phenomenal player. I think he is just about young enough, like Tony says, that maybe he has a good 18 months again and maybe one of the big boys come and knock again, perhaps. But yeah, I think it shouldn't be sort of forgotten just how, how influential he was at Spurs, even I, though it hasn't ended quite as he wanted to. I've got an interesting reader question or, or point on Ericsson from John Felfson, who I, I think is Danish. I've probably butchered your surname, so apologies. Um, he says that Ericsson never took upon him the natural role of the commanding figure um, that his position and style of play predicted that he should be. 
Eventually, Kane, Trippier and Rose all challenged his position as the undisputed leader on the pitch and also free kick taker. His main shortcoming is his self-effacing attitude. He does not impose himself, but is easily brushed aside by the ambitious teammate. He should be the equivalent of Pirlo on the pitch. Do you think that's fair or, or potentially a little bit harsh? I think it's harsh, but I can see what he means. I can see that um, there were times when you think, this is a fella who should really dominate games. He should be 10 and 20, 15, 20 games a year. You know, he should be, he should be leading this team to, to the title, you know, it's, um, and, uh, you know, there was occasions I've watched him and the game is begging for him to do something mm. spectacular. Well, not, not, not so much spectacular, but to get on the ball and change the way, you know, the, the flow of the game and he hasn't done it. So I can see that and, and a little bit of frustration for that at times because you think, you know, um, you can see he's got the ability to actually be one of the dominant players, the top three or four dominant players in the league. And he never quite reached that level. You know, he was in the top, you know, between five and ten, I'd say. It's interesting he mentions PLO because you mentioned that into midfield. The two really impressive ones, like I said before, was Sensi and Barella, but they play laterally. And you'd think with, certainly in the smaller games where Inter will dominate possession, maybe they could sacrifice Mm. Borja Valera and Eriksen could just sit deep and use his passing. It might be something that has appealed to him. Maybe as his career reaches the end and his legs go, he might think a, a league like Serie A where Tony says he gets a bit more time on the ball, could play deeper, can like orchestrate everything. So, yeah, that might be something that he grows into as a player. Certainly, you've seen the likes of Pirlo. They, they have great influence towards the, the back end of their career. The one thing I'd say in response to John as well is that Dave Heitner in The Guardian made a really good point which is that whenever you waited in the mix zone for Ericsson, he would walk past and completely blank you. So I, I, I don't think it's a question of kind of attitude or his desire to succeed. And we know how ambitious he's always been and how he wanted to, to move to Spain. Um, potentially, it's a, it's a culture thing. Maybe in England, we kind of want to see players demanding the ball and, and driving forwards and, and jumping into the 50-50s, which just was never Ericsson's style. He was never a player to kind of to jump into tackles like that and he's got that rather more sort of refined air. So, you know, maybe that will play really well in Italy. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you'd never expect him to jump into tackles, but what you'd expect him is to be demanding the ball mm. and to be the creative fulcrum of the team. And for, at times he wasn't. At times Ali, you know, and and obviously Kane, you know, it's uh, but he... There were occasions where, and this is probably a bit harsh, he seemed to pass off the responsibility a little bit. And when you think, you know, the, the game's just as desperate for him and with his range of skills to just, you know, to use the cliche, grab hold of it by the scruff of the neck. Mm. And too often he was kind of, he didn't. OK, producer Tom is looking angry, so we're going to really quickly whip through uh, the rest of the points. Uh, Barcelona are without a striker due to Suarez's injury. The Rodrigo move that's been kind of talked about all week, that might now not be happening. Uh, ben, do we think they need a late move to salvage their season uh, and enable Setien to succeed early? I think what would really save Barca is to sort of be stop being so scattergun. I think they, I mean, you read the reports in Spain and they need to shave about £170 million worth of money to go and to sort themselves out financially. So I think, I don't think another last gasp move to go and get one final piece to save Messi's legacy or whatever it is, is actually going to help them. It's very short-term thinking. They've been too guilty of that 
for the last three, four years, really. I mean, you spent 140 million on Isman Dembele. Like, you can't give up now, even if he might have given you reason to. Um, I feel like Rodrigo is a tidy player, but he hasn't scored a lot of goals this season, really. I don't think he's the guy to be spending 60 million euros on to try and save you because Suarez is out for a couple of months, I think. Setien's a very good manager. He gave a very he gave an excellent interview to Miguel Delaney a couple of years ago. Um, he's got some very good ideas about how you play the game. He loves Messi, uh, which most people do. Um, I would back him to be able to sort of cover up the gaps almost. I mean, Suarez is clearly a colossal figure for every team he's played for, but I think you can probably coach around it when you've got the greatest of all time next to him. Um, it's been a rocky start for Setien, but I don't necessarily think that that's all his fault. It's been a rocky season, and I think it was a bit probably naive to think that he can just parachute in and change everything straight away. Um, it's a work in progress, clearly. I think, that, and as many of the clubs we talk about in this studio, I think there's more problems than sort of one or two at Barcelona. Yeah. They've lost the way Coutinho, Dembele. You know, it's, um, and I think this year's just the, the, the end of the, to the end of the season is about muddling through for Setien and and they'll assess in the summer. But financially, you know, they do have big issues. And finally, Rafa, just looking around Europe, who would you say are the big winners of this month's window? I suppose Dortmund would be fairly Dortmund, high up there. Certainly, Haaland for however long he's there is going to be a revelation five and two I mean he he could he could elevate them to a title and it would be all worth it even if he's been and gone in six months I think Napoli have done a good job to reshuffle their team they might sell Alan and certainly um, Dries Mertens with six months left on his contract they look really good on the weekend he's as well they look you? really good against Juventus um, looks like uh, Diego Dem settled in really well uh, Labocca I think is a very like, special talent in midfield he could, he could go really well um, I think Juventus, very smart to um, pick up Kulisevsky from um, Atalanta, but he's been on loan at Parma. He's gone back there after signing for 30 million and just looks, um, in terms of like the talent, like f- physically very good, can carry a ball, can like over great distances, and I think um, a pretty smart finisher when he uh, when he does get in on goal. So I think look for him to be a big part next season for Juventus when they eventually move on, the likes of Bernadeschi or somebody of that ilk. Good stuff. Okay, let's head to Hero and Villain. Sticking with you, Rafo, have you got a hero? Got a couple. I think um, can't look far beyond Jason Cummings. I think for Shrewsbury, um, pretty uh, special um, impact against the best team in the country. Um, the world. Yeah, the best team in the world, yeah. So um, that's a day he'll never forget. And um, yeah, re- really impressive performance. But I think Trezeguet to score yeah. that late in, um, in a cup semi-final in stoppage time, I think, the scenes that followed at Villa Park were just um, extraordinary. So I think I'd might maybe edge it to Trezeguet just because he tipped the balance in his side's favour and eventually I think Shrewsbury will succumb to Liverpool at Anfield. And Tony, who's your villain? I think it's obvious. You've got to do the people who attacked Ed Woodward's house. You know, and, and what I want to say, just before we finish, that I've seen people saying, oh, you know, the media have now calling Ed Woodward all, all the things they've called him. Well, you know what? We should be able to say Ed Woodward is a dope and people don't attack him. You know, it's um, he's, he's not a, you know, a... a a, a, a dictator, you know, that you want to bring down. Well, it's, it's football. Calm down, everyone. It's just football. You have dopes in football. Don't attack the houses. Top answer. Thank you. Uh, sadly, that is all we've got time for this week. Be sure to follow Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with all that is going on. If you're a new listener, please subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. And we'll see you next week when we're going to do part two of Why Super Clubs Are Evil. Goodbye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.